place. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 22. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Father, we come to you again asking you to bless the reading of your word. I pray that you would speak to me through me, that you would fill me with your spirit. And Lord, the words that you have given me, may I give them nothing more, nothing less. I pray that you would send us a revival. Lord, we're asking for revival. And I think that you have laid out in your word how we can have revival. So I pray this morning that this will be yet just another part of preparing us for the revival that is to come. Lord, I pray for if there be one who has come into our service that is without you, He or she is lost and on his or her way to hell. I pray right now that they would hear and receive the gospel message. That they would believe in you for their eternal salvation. And Lord, if there's one here that is saved, but that is uh, just not serving you like he or she should. Maybe they're just out of fellowship. Lord, I pray whatever it is that you would have preeminence, that you would draw them to yourselves, that we would draw nigh unto him so that he would draw nigh to us. And God, I pray right now that you'll do a mighty, mighty work. Lord, help me. I cannot do this without you. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We've been going through the book of Colossians. Colossians is a wonderful book. The first couple of chapters dealt with the preeminence of Christ. Christ is preeminent in every area of our lives. And then Paul teaches us that what we are positionally, we need to become practically. In other words, as Christ followers, as Christians... There should be a difference in us and it should be seen in every area of our lives. If we say that Jesus is preeminent, that ought to be evident. And last week we talked about in the home. He starts, and there's a wonderful outline here in the passage. If you just follow it, you'll see that he is dealing with the major areas of our lives. In other words, how can we say that Jesus is preeminent of our lives when it's not revealed in our homes? And then from there, he moves to the workplace. Do you realize that there are three major parts to your life? There is your home life, there is your work life, and then there is your church life. And the Apostle Paul deals with them, all three, here in this passage of Scripture. If one of those is out of balance, if one of those is a wreck, your life is a wreck. If two of those is a wreck, you're in trouble. And if all three are out of sorts, you've got major, major problems. What does the Apostle Paul say about this matter of work? Well, first of all, let me just go over a couple of things and let you know that work is important. That work is of God. Do you know, realize that God gave Adam a job before he fell? He was to work and to dress the garden. God gave him a job. Work is important to God. Adam was to work in the garden before the fall. Thorns and thistles came after the fall. Hard work came after the fall. God the Father worked. 
Jesus Christ worked. God the Holy Spirit worked. In John chapter 5 and verse 17, But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Do you realize that God created the heavens and earth and on the seventh day He rested. He worked six days. He rested one day. Work is God's idea. And work is extremely important. Now, let me just put a little footnote here. If you're unable to work, I am not picking at you. That's between you and God. And we understand that there are some people who are not physically able to work. We understand that. But those of us that do and can and are, you are supposed to work. Work is a major part of our lives. Aside of your home, you'll spend more time at work than any other place. Therefore, it is important, it's extremely important to see God's plan for the workplace. The reason I titled this The Holiness of, 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 of the Workplace, Holiness in the Workplace, is holiness is important. People don't understand it. They think that holiness is some guy walking around, you know, dressed like I'm dressed here this morning, carrying a big black Bible with a cross around his neck, speaking in a language no one understands, and beating everybody up. That's not holiness. The word holiness simply means to be set apart from sin unto God. Holiness, if I give you the most basic hillbilly definition, holiness is doing things God's way. That's what holiness is. Holiness is doing things God's way. And God has a way that He wants us to act in the workplace. But let me tell you something. And I'll just say this right up front. Laziness is a sin. Laziness is a sin. And it stands to reason if we spend so much a greater time in the workplace... And we're to be living out practically what we are positionally, then we must practice God's way in the workplace. Your testimony is extremely important. Let me ask you a question. How can you say that Jesus Christ is preeminent in your life when you shirk at the workplace? When you don't do your job, when you don't show up on time, when you're not faithful and responsible and honest and, and have integrity, how can you say that Jesus Christ is preeminent? But nobody wants to talk about this. We'd rather feel good about ourselves. If in fact we are submitted to the preeminence of Jesus Christ, then it should be evident in every area of our lives. You know what the greatest complaint against Christians is? The single greatest complaint is this. What you say and what you do do not align. What you say you believe and what you do do not line up. That's the biggest robber of our testimony today. Now as we come to the text, Paul is going to use the most dehumanizing, degrading context to show us the importance of our testimony in work. First of all, let me give you a couple of questions and an answer real quick before we go too far. Paul uses this imagery of slavery. And you have to understand that in the Roman Empire, slavery was a major part of that. Paul, was he advocating for slavery? No way, no how. As a matter of fact, Paul was absolutely against the evils of slavery. 
And I believe that we should make a note here. That we as Christians, we should be the ones speaking the loudest against injustice. Social inju- now, I'm not talking about going out and protesting and all that. I'm talking about how people treat other people. We ought to be the ones standing up saying, we ought to treat people with love and respect because they're God's creation. And that's what Paul says. He takes, let me take you to 1 Timothy. Paul is not about to advocate for slavery. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. But we know that the law is good if man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers. That word there, is the word that's used of trafficking people. Slavery is wrong. He said that is the conduct of an evil, unrighteous person. And the law can't change that. Paul says there's one way to change the evil of slavery. And that one way is through the new birth. The new birth. Jesus Christ. The gospel. Paul's point here is that the law can't change that. There's but one remedy to the evil of slavery. There's only one thing that can radically change a person, and that is the new birth. Being born again. Being saved, we call it. It's the power. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We as Christians should be leading the way on matters of social injustice. How many of you have heard the name of William William Wilberforce? He was a British politician and he came to faith in Jesus Christ uh, when he had crossed paths with John Newton. John Newton was the one that wrote Amazing Grace. They were on their way to leading the charge to abolishing slavery in England. Throughout his time in politics, he was threatened, he was ridiculed, he was slandered. However, he remained faithful to his calling of abolishing slavery. Slavery, excuse me. In 1807, the House of Commons voted to end the slave trade in England. It was said that William Wilberforce hung his head and wept. That was in 1807, but it wasn't until 1833 that England emancipated all the slaves just three days before William Wilberforce died. The last 25 years of his life was dedicated to abolishing this evil act of slavery. What was the turning point? What was the turning point in Mr. Wilberforce's life? The turning point was when he was converted to faith in Jesus Christ. It's the key to everything, guys. We can't clean up the outside of the vessel until the inside's clean. The inside can only be clean when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. Laws and, and, and social rules mean nothing if your heart has not been changed. If you are not a new creation created in Christ Jesus, it, nothing's going to change. You have that old man, that old sin nature, and you're bent towards that way. And Paul says there's but one thing that can change everything, and that's the new birth. And if you and I have experienced that new birth, we are a new creation created in Christ Jesus. 
Which means that we are no longer our own. We're no longer in charge of our lives. Paul writes earlier in Colossians, no doubt, Colossians was made up of slaves. If you study historically the Roman Empire, they mastered the art of slavery. They were a wicked group of people. The Roman Empire had these slaves, and no doubt some of the slaves were in the church of Colossians. Some estimate up to one-third of the church was made up of slaves. Paul writes in Colossians 3, 10, and 11, "...and have put on the new man which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him." Now notice this, the new man, the one that's born again, the one that's saved, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, slave, nor free. But Christ is all in all. Ladies and gentlemen, may I say to you, it is level at the foot of the cross. The cross is for everyone who believes. It is the new man that makes us one in Christ and we're all equal. We have no right. We have no right to abuse and mistreat others. Paul uses the context of this most dehumanizing, degrading situation to teach us the value of our testimony in work. It's one thing to talk about it when you work, but it's another to look a slave in the eye and tell that slave, you have to capitulate to whatever your master wants and you do it for the glory of the Lord. That, my friends, is something weighty. That's weighty. Paul comes and he says, notice in verse 22, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. The servant or the worker is to obey in all things pertaining to the flesh. And the only exception is when it is sin. Obviously, you don't follow them into sin. Many Christians have ruined their testimonies because they're rebellious in the workplace. Guys, some common sense here. If your boss tells you to do it and it's not a sin, do it. There's biblical reference for that. But that's not the way I want to do it. That's not the most efficient way. It's not your business. Your business is to do what your boss says. It's quiet, isn't it? I remember I told... <laughs> I won't tell you, babe. I remember when I told him. One time we were driving and I was telling the kids and I said, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. And uh, Anna said, who's your boss? I said, Jesus. And she said, you mean Jesus wasn't a Baptist? That was back in middle school, babe. Her math teacher's a preacher, and Amy told him that, and he spit his lunch out of his mouth. Hey, guys, listen. We don't... I'll tell you what the problem is. Today, we are so enamored with self-centeredness. We are so enamored with self-centeredness. I have literally watched young people almost sit down in front, almost underneath of an elderly person so they could get the last seat. Guys, we've got this wrong. Whatever happened to second-mile Christians? Whatever happened to the ones that we are the ones who are submissive and we do it because we love Jesus? And people look at us and they notice and they say, man, you're different. There's something different about you. We're in the workplace and the boss tells you to do something and he goes away and then you start with your buddies running down the boss. 
you might as well throw your testimony out the window. Now, I don't, I don't pretend this to be easy. But what we have to realize is that Christianity is a life of submission. Nowhere does the Bible say that Christianity is going to be easy. As a matter of fact, life is not easy. You want to know what makes heaven so wonderful? I mean, apart from Jesus being there. You know what's going to make heaven so wonderful? All that we want here on earth, no sorrow, no pain, no sickness, we want it easy. We don't get until we get there. It's going to be hard here. It's going to be, you're going to be tested here weekly, daily, moment by moment. And we Christians have to get over this notion that everyone has to kowtow to us because we're Christians. No. Jesus said, if you come and He compels you to go a mile, you walk two with Him. You go the extra mile. We ought to leave everything better than what we found it. I say we, I'm not there. We ought to leave everything. People will say, hey, there's Christians, you know, they used our facility for something and they really tore the place up. That would be a terrible testimony. We submit to God's ways and especially in the workplace. On more than one occasion, I bumped into someone and I said, oh, so-and-so works there. Do you know them? They go to They go to church. They go to church? That was a literal response I've had on more than one occasion. You mean, they go to church? How can we say we believe in the preeminence of Jesus Christ, then our work record testifies something totally different? Obey your boss unless he or she is trying to get you to sin. Scripture simple. It's what Paul says. Notice he says some qualifying things. According to the flesh, your boss according to the flesh. That's here on the earth. But he goes on and he says this. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. So he tells us to obey in all things, but he tells us how to obey with a sincere heart. Singleness of heart means a sincere heart. How you do something is just as important as why you do it. How you say something is just as important as what you're saying. And we got to get that in our minds. And Paul comes along and he says, there's a few stipulations to this. Number one, you don't do this with eye service as men pleasers. You don't do this when, just when they're watching. You do your best when they're not watching. You know why? Because He is watching. The Heavenly Father's watching. And would to God, us believers, take some good Christian sincerity about our work. We should do our work to the best of its ability. That Larry Bird is my favorite all-time basketball player. That's when watching basketball was exciting. Now it's not. They're lazy. They don't play defense. It's just, i got a whole diatribe I could give you on that. But Larry Bird had a work ethic second to none. One time, the coach came in, and the coach said, listen, he didn't want to have practice. He had scheduled some things. And he said, I, I don't want to 
I don't want to have practice, but I can't let the guys know that. So he came in and he said, if anybody can make a half-court shot today, I'll give you the day off. And a couple of the guys all got around and were talking. Larry Bird took the ball, went over, and he drained it. Nothing but net. Swished. Everybody got the day off. They were all excited. Everybody left. The coach goes in his office and buttons things up, and as he's leaving, he hears something out in the gym. And he walks out in the gym, and guess what? Everyone else is gone, but guess who's there? Larry Bird. Guess what he was doing? He was practicing. He was practicing. See, there are Christians who love to do things when people are watching them. When people are watching them, man, they're really, praise God, hallelujah. i got a friend who's a preacher. I grew up with him, and he's just as hillbilly as I am. But when he's talking in his pastor voice, I'm like, How you doing, brother? And I'm like, Well, that's about as fake as... You know what I'm talking about? You know someone like that. You might know they got it. <clears throat> but we're good at impressing people. Don't say no names out loud, Amy Joe. We're good at impressing people when they're watching. But what about when the boss turns? What about then? When the man's eyes are not on us, do we work as diligently? See, he says to do that not as men pleasers because we are to be God pleasers. We do our work and we do it well because we want to please God. He then gives us two what I would call positive statements. First of all, we do this with a sincere heart. Our hearts are pure. We're, we're doing it for God. We're going to give our best for God. I don't like my job. Well, let me, let me ask you. If you don't like your job, let me ask you to do something. I want you to pray two things. If you don't like your job, number one, pray and ask God, God, is it your will for me to have this job? And if it's not your will for me to have this job, then God, give me another job. But God, if it is your will for me to have this job, then make me understand it's your will and make me like this job. I think you'll find that as I find and as everyone finds, we're never content. We're never content. Do you realize that today, it used to be when I started pastoring here, that churches, uh, pastors move church every seven years. Do you know it's down to four years now? The national average, a pastor stays in a church four years and he's on to the next church. Four years. Guys, listen, what I'm trying to tell you is even when it's tough, we have a pure heart. Even when things are not going our way, we have a pure heart. Don't just quit. Don't just give up because it's not going the way you want it. Who likes to eat in here? Amen. There's a bunch of liars. You ain't raising your hand. I've seen you. You're Baptist. We, we announce a meal and our attendance goes up 10%. I'm just saying. It's interesting the giving doesn't, but the attendance does. Uh, something there. Yeah, you like eating. We all like eating. Hey, how do you provide for your family? That job that God gave you. That job that God gave you. Listen. Pray. If it's not God's will, have Him to reveal His will and give you the job that's in His will. There's no reason to not have a sincere heart. Secondly, he says, we work fearing God. Fearing God. Listen to me. We go to work and we do our best because we fear God. We don't fear God in our land anymore. 
You listen to preachers, they're downright irreverent to our Lord and Savior. I've heard guys trying to be cool and referring to Jesus Christ as J.C. I don't even like to tell it. I feel dirty telling it. The big man upstairs. And let me tell you, I love you more than anything. If you're around me and you call, refer to God as the big man upstairs, I'm going to rebuke you in Jesus' name. Because he's a holy God. He's a righteous God. He's not the big man upstairs. He's God. He is worthy to be praised. And we don't fear God anymore. We don't fear God anymore. You know the Bible says that the beginning of both knowledge and wisdom is the fear of God? The, the sheer terror of God. We've become chummy with God. He's one of our brethren. We're equal. No, we're not. You look in the Scriptures, everyone who saw the resurrected Christ felt his face as though he were dead. Moses had to hide his face in the cleft of the rock and look at the hind parts. And just seeing the hind parts made his face shine so greatly he had to veil it. And the reason he veiled it is he didn't want people to see it stop shining. We've forgotten how whole how holy and how righteous and how mighty our God is. And how that we represent Him. It's more than wearing a t-shirt or a bracelet. It's about being salt and light. It's about living out what we believe in the workplace. And it does matter. Our testimony does matter. I was listening to a preacher the other day. He was preaching at Bob Jones University. And the man came to him and said, I need, I need about four or five graduates in this field. He said, we only hire from this school because of the work ethic that comes out of this school. I thought, hallelujah, what a testimony. Wouldn't that be something to be said? I only like to, I go to this church. I go to Shawnee Hills Baptist Church to find employees because they're different there and they're great workers and they really know how to work. Wouldn't that be a wonderful testimony? People join a church, they get a job. We want them to join church because they love Jesus and they're saved. But we'll get them in here any way we can and then give them the gospel. Can I give them an amen? I'm not above bribery. Anybody else? I'll quid pro quo. I ain't afraid to. I'm sorry. That was a rabbit trail. You know, I've been asking for God for revival. I've been asking for God. Listen, there's no doubt in my mind that you all love Jesus Christ as much as I love Jesus. We all love Jesus. But I just tell you, our society as a whole, even in the church, we have become nonchalant with our Lord. We have cooled off. We really have. And it's interesting. I started praying, Lord, I need a revival. I need you to revive me. And immediately we come to Colossians. And what are we encountered with? We're encountered with the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And from there, we keep Jesus preeminent first in rank in everything in our lives. He starts giving us examples of how we can live this out. And it's interesting that He immediately goes to the home. See, I believe if revival is going to happen, it has to start with us and in our homes. And then it will go out and He goes out to the workplace. And then next week we'll talk about the church. Immediately, God gives us an outline. If us... Born again believers would just stand up in the power of the Almighty God, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and start being salt and light in our homes and in the workplace, we would see a revival. But we're cooling off because we're so self-centered and we've become so comfortable like the church at Laodicea. He goes on to tell us in verse 23, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. 
That's the qualifier. Man, listen, if you cut grass at, at your house, you ought to cut grass the best in the neighborhood. I'm serious. We are good. Baptists are good at doing the minimum. Right? Let's get by. We're get by Baptists. How about that? We want to do the minimum. Man, could you imagine when we had a cleanup day around here if all of us said, man, we're going we're to do this to the glory of God. I mean, I, we, th- this place might glow. But guys, we've lost our work ethic. <laughs> we're, we're, we've lost our work ethic because we have a disconnect of what we say we believe and what we're doing. How many times, this ditch over here, people live up the street here, I think they think because we got a dumpster that they're, you know, they're just doing something for the community by throwing their beer cans in the ditch. Every Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday, Sunday when we're here, you can walk across through there and pick up cans and throw them in the dumpster. We've worked hard at getting our building looking good. I mean, look, this is amazing, isn't it? This is amazing. And uh, we work hard at doing this. We need to stand out in the community, not so that we shine, but so that Jesus shines. We're testifying to them that we believe in Him, and He is preeminent, and this is His building, and we want to take the best care of it we can. We need to get this. Whatever we're doing, we need to do it all out for the Lord. The same man that I told you about earlier, <clears throat> Larry Bird, he coached for a couple years in the NBA. And he quit coaching. And they interviewed him and asked him why he wanted to quit coaching because he was such a legend in the NBA. He said, listen, i tell you this. I had to quit coaching because I don't understand why they won't work as hard as I worked and why they won't do the things I was willing to do. That's the reason why he quit coaching in the NBA. He couldn't understand. He couldn't get it. Guys, if we would get a hold of this one part, hey, I'm going to do whatever it is, I'm going to do it for the glory of God. I'm going to take, I'm going to take not pride, but I'm going to take a good, holy reverence in what I'm doing, and I'm going to show it, I'm going to do it for the glory of God. If I'm going to go and volunteer, man, I'm going to be there serving with a smile. If I'm going to teach Sunday school, I'm going to be excited, I'm going to study. I'm not going to get my quarterly out Sunday night on the way to church and read it. I'm going to get into Word. I'm going to study. I've got a whole week to prepare one lesson. I'm going to do my very best for the Lord. I'm going to sing in the cantata choir. Can I get an amen? How many of you love Jesus? Oh, somebody catching on, ain't you? Choir practice tonight. Those of you who raised your hand, thanks for volunteering. Hey, let me, can I just say that? Why shouldn't we? Why, why, why shouldn't, why shouldn't that, that, we should be having to figure out where we're going to put people up here. I'm just telling you straight up. We shouldn't have to beg you to work around the church. We should not have to beg you. Laziness is a sin. If something needs to be done, good grief, stand up and do it. Now some of you do, but some of you don't. Some of you are happy to just come sit, soak, and sour. 
But I'm going to ask you to, to get up and do something. And do it for the Lord. Do it for His glory. Amen. I was at Lowe's the other day, and I went to check out. And there was a girl there, and below the cash register was a drawer. She looked at me, she'd scan something, she'd open that drawer, and she'd type on her phone, and she'd shut the drawer. I knew what was going on. She was not supposed to have her phone out at work. She was being disobedient. She was disobeying what her boss said. And you say, is that really a big deal? Yeah, it's a big deal. Because what you're saying is, if you were a born-again believer and you were doing that, and I don't know her state, but what you're saying is, authority doesn't matter. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that is the very antithesis to God's way of doing things. That's what got the devil expelled. So what qualities should we have in the workplace as Christians? Well, simple. Let me just read them to you. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Temperance means self-control. Anybody realize what those are? Fruit of the Spirit. Now let me ask you a question. How can you claim the fruit of the Spirit and be as lazy as a bloodhound? If Christ is preeminent in our lives, it should be evident, especially in our work. How is your testimony at work? Ask some of your co-workers. If they'll tell you honestly, if you say, Hey, listen, I need to know. You do know Paul reminds us that we'll be accountable unto the Lord. He says, Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. When you're at your job, you're not serving your boss. You are serving Jesus Christ. You say, but you don't know my boss. I work for the devil. Well, listen, what you need... <laughs> Some of them say, amen, preacher. <laughs> Invite them to church. Maybe they'll get saved. But if you could just change your outlook and say, listen... I'm doing this because I love Jesus. And if I have to put up with this person that I can't stand, I love him. I love him and I'm going to do it. Are you ready to be accountable to the Lord? If today your day, your name was called, and you were to go home to be with the Lord, could you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for your work ethic? Could you say, Lord, that in my work life... I did everything to show forth that I am a follower of you and you are preeminent in my life. Think about that. Guys, listen, we need a revival. I need some men and women to stand up and say, listen, I'm willing to be salt and light in the workplace. Yes, I try to do my best, but maybe I can do better and I'm willing with Christ's help to do better. I want my light to shine for Jesus Christ. I want, to, I want to get involved. I want, to, I want to do something for His glory around the church. Whatever it is. Why don't you make that decision today? Guys, it is truly, truly worth it. Do it as unto the Lord. Let's be hearty, serving 
vibrant, God-fearing servants of the Most High God. Let's do it. Let's not make excuses. Let's just do it for the glory of God. Would you bow with me for prayer?